You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Oh, so Matthew 15 and 1. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. And so you nullify the word of God, and all for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Yep, Jesus said that. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachers are merely human rules. And then in verse 10, Jesus called the crowd to himself and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, this is what defiles them. Disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. Leave them, for they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a pit. And Peter says, explain this parable to us. Jesus again. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. These are that which defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with the unwashed hands does not defile them. A lot we could unpack. Probably some verses you're thinking, I hope he speaks on this, I hope he speaks on that. But what we need to understand here is what is going on. You ever read this and you think, who are these religious leaders? Where did they come from? We have the Old Testament finish, and then this 400-year gap, and suddenly on the pages of our Bible is printing these stories of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. Another group called the Herodians. Well, what has happened? What has happened is Israel was serving God for years, the Old Testament. And in this 400-year gap, they got complacent. They distant. We don't really want to follow your ways, God. We don't like the things you've said. We don't want to trust in what you've planned for our lives. And so what does God do? He gives them over. He says, oh, you want to follow the ways of the world? You want to do things your own way? Well, guess what? Here comes Babylon. And it was prophesied through Jeremiah. A 70-year exile would come upon God's people. And guys, how many of you know what an exile does? It humbles you. If you lost your job because of something you did, that was an exile. You got humbled. When you have issues with a person, it should humble you. These things should blow up in your face and you get shocked. And Israel, thankfully, finally realized, wow, we distanced from God. We got far away from Him. We're living to save our own means, kind of like the world today. Amen. God will convict you and me when we're driving what we think our life. But when God sees what's happening in the world, there are times where God arrives and He shakes the whole planet. That's future book of Revelation. 
But what happened to Israel was they got humbled and thankfully, here's what they said. They said, we don't want this to happen again. We don't want our kids and our grandkids to fall by the wayside. We don't want them to get away from God's law, his 10 commands. So what could we do? And we know this. We have the 10 commandments, Exodus 20. We have 613 other commandments applied to Israel. But what they did in this period was they created all these other teachings, all these ideologies, all these mindsets that went along with these traditions. And here's why it's bad. is because these traditions that were meant to be fences around the commandments became as relevant as God's law. That's like you saying, Brian, I don't ever want to break God's commandment. Well, let's build a fence around it. And a fence around that. And a fence around that. They did this out of humility and they did this with good intentions, but it's brought about the creation of these few groups. I have to say this, you'll understand the context of the whole passage, but the scribes, they were just families of men, maybe my dad, me and my son, and we drove into the word of God, we translated, we unpacked it, we shared it with everyone. So when you came out of the exile, you had God's word. What dangerously happened was maybe a scribe or a pastor, you would say, or someone with wisdom would add their thoughts and they would take those words and put them alongside the text and they became on the standard of God's word. How many of you guys have footnotes in your Bible? Maybe your Bible says, you know, in the Old Testament that Charles Spurgeon says that the rose of Sharon is Jesus. And maybe someone else says, no, it's not. Another theologian. Maybe someone says the earth is almost 6,000 years and maybe someone else says, no, it's millions of years. Maybe someone like me asks you, did Adam have a belly button? And you said, Brian, that doesn't matter. No, but did he? I'm saying that to say, I'm saying that to say the footnotes don't really matter. But they've lifted them to a scale where they are alongside God. And they've gotten so religious, we're now on a Sabbath, you can't pluck a hair. You can't cook certain food. You have to wash a certain way. These are the scribes. For the Pharisees, though, they had the same kind of mindset. We don't want to be in the world. We don't want to be entrapped by the world. We don't want to fall into sin, so we're going to completely distance from the world. And it kind of sounds good, right? Get away from it all. Turn off Netflix, the music, all the crazy friends. Don't be near them. And you hear these stories years ago of these monks who move into monasteries or these priests or these saints. And for 30, 40 years, they just sit and meditate. What that is, though it's a religious ideology. It's religious adultery in the sense because what they're doing is they're focused on themselves, they're praying, they're interceding, but they're not what? Living out their call. They've withdrawn from the world. Guys, why are we in the world? To shine the light, to reach it. So the Pharisees have withdrawn and they're walking around on pompous and pious saying, are you keeping the tradition? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And then you have the Sadducees. The Sadducees were hyper-liberal-minded. They didn't believe the Word of God. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They would have looked at the book of Daniel and scoffed and said, there's no end-time verses in here. And they romanced the politicians. They loved the social justice. They were so focused on so many things, they probably would have had a coexist car sticker on their car, amen? Or whatever they rode in the town on back then, a donkey. I'm saying that to say... The way they would have done this is why? Because they want everyone to get along. They want it all to be good. And in fact, the only time they started to get mad was when the disciples began to actually preach the gospel in the book of Acts. And they said, this is going too far. 
preaching the gospel, talking about repentance. I say all this because we arrive here in Matthew 15, and this is where Jesus is showing up to all of these people. And when Jesus shows up, you guys, what does he do? He confronts them all. Why did he confront them? Did he go to them? No, they came to him. How many of you know you start preaching the truth, you're going to get some confrontation, amen? Start preaching what's true. Shine the light in the darkness as we just heard over here. Reaching out, proclaiming God's will, his purpose, his commands. The enemy doesn't like it. And so Jesus is proclaiming this truth. And sadly, we pick up the text where these religious rulers who've heard of Jesus' ministry have sent leaders to go and discipline in a way and challenge him. But they're here for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but they don't even realize this is who is standing before them. Verse 1, listen to this. It says, Some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from where? Jerusalem. And you read that and you think, Ah, they just came over from Costa Mesa. No. This was a hundred-mile journey. Someone at the top of the food chain said, We better shut this guy down. He is gaining momentum. He's not keeping our what? Traditions. Not commands, traditions. So they go a hundred miles out of their way, like a kind of tribe of like rogue Jedis coming to like persecute Anakin. You remember that scene? I mean, this is like Billy Graham in the 80s riding a bike from Minnesota to your house. When you open the door, what does he say? Show me your hands, your hands clean. Guys, they're coming to them because of what? Hygiene. Religious leaders who supposedly know God and are shepherds and care about people, are on a hundred-mile journey to catch Jesus. And look at what they say, verse 2. Why do your disciples, Jesus, break the tradition of the elders? It's not even about God's law and God's plan and God's will. It's about a tradition. It's about something culturally relevant. And I'll be honest, when I first read the Bible, and I was in my 20s, struggling, having no clue about God, I would have just read this tradition or ritual or law and said, this is all the same. I didn't know there was a difference. I would have thought about the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and thought, well, they're God's men. They're the ones in charge. Isn't everyone on a stage or everyone with a position or everyone with a ministry? Aren't they the authority? No. These guys were way off. They were way off. They were missing things so bad. They wouldn't just wash they would wash after every course. They would wash after every bite. They had so many things going on in culture that people couldn't do that if you as a woman gave birth to a child, your husband couldn't even come near you for what? Seven days. They say nowadays that when a woman gives birth, she doesn't let her husband near for how many years? Seven years, amen? I do say that, guys, because I forgot to say it earlier. I have a marriage book, and it's out there for free. Please take them. I'm not kidding. I put this out there. I get them out. This doesn't cover that topic, but I just want to remind myself. Thank you, Lord. But here's my point. These guys are implying that Jesus doesn't care about the traditions. He's implying that Jesus is possibly in sin. And we've got to say, is that what the Old Testament teaches? Well, sure. It tells Aaron, his son, tells the Levites, you can't eat certain things on certain days for certain reasons. You can't wash certain ways of certain things you've got to follow, but it isn't to the whole nation. It isn't to everyone. If you see me at Seacliff after this, you know, at Togo's or Chipotle, you haven't got to hide your hands when I come around, but that's how they were, amen? They were showing up, policing and bullying people's lives, and it's out of control. And what does Jesus say in verse 3? And guys, you've got to get this. 
We have this picture of Jesus where he's just always in a field holding a lamb. That is not the Jesus of today. Yes, he holds a lamb. Yes, he's the lamb of God. But he's also the Jesus who what? Is going to return as who? King and Lord. There's going to be devastation. People are freaked out by the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But you know who rides out last? Jesus. This isn't the hillside Jesus. This isn't the, by that time it's going to be too late. So watch how you hear Jesus' character. It says in verse 3, right away to the core. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? They don't even realize it that they're so caught up in their tradition. If their hands are clean in their rituals, they've gone out of their way a hundred miles round trip to challenge Jesus. And he addresses this crazy issue. Look at what he says in verse 4. For God has said, this is to all, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. This is the fifth commandment. The first commandment after the commands that focus on God are on the mother and father. This is serious. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help his mother or father is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. And so you nullify, the law, you nullify the law. Here's why this is crazy. Because we see here that God's word has commanded us to honor who? Our parents. We in the West don't always understand this, but God has this cycle in life. The Bible says the universe declares his majesty. We are here to serve others. And when I was 18, 19, 20, we had our first son. And how does God want to witness to us in this world? Well, you give birth to a child and a child comes out bald and in diapers and can't speak and all over the place. And if you left that kid, it probably wouldn't be very good. Amen? So as a young adult, you learn to serve someone. Then you go through your life taking care of said people, get to the end of your life, and now who do you serve? Father and who? Father and mother. They're generally bald. They're generally oftentimes in diapers. They generally can't speak. And my point is this. Think about it. God is showing us, I serve my kids, live my life, and I serve my parents until the day they die. This is a command of God. Is this loving or not? Yes. Some of you know this as well for me, and I'll share part of it, but even this past two years, we've been dealing with my wife's mom who's sick. Two years, ALS, crazy disease, crazy sickness. She oftentimes isn't in the church because if she gets the slightest bit sick, it could kill her mom. And we're done last week. We get done, pick the kids up, go home. My wife's at home with her mom, comes to our house. We're running out to mother's to get her some food. And her dad calls, hey, I don't know if she's breathing. And we rush over to the house. My wife's in tears. We go in the house. There's a life support machine, hand on her stomach, feeling around, knowing what's going on and what. She's gone. She's gone. Last Sunday after church. And as we sat in that room and we watched the spirit leave and we watched her body become fragile and I told that family, this is why Jesus came. He's the resurrection. She's no longer here. And for my daughter Eden to say, Mom, the way you loved her, the way for two years you took care of her in ways that I wouldn't even describe in a pulpit, the way you served this person, what did that do? It showed how to serve. It showed how to love. Is anyone here who doesn't want to take care of your parents like this? This is a command of God. And what are the scribes and Pharisees doing? They're saying this. When your dad calls Tracy and you said, I'm going to give this much money to help my mom, or I'm going to go and do this and go do that, you can simply shout, Corban. 
Corban was a word that said, no, 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 it's been set apart for God. Well, Brian, you said we could use your car. We said that you could do this. We said you could do No, Corban. What they were saying is once you make a vow to God, you can never go back on it. Well, I thought you were helping me move house today. Well, Corban over my car, you haven't got to help me now. And this person could be worth millions, and they're entitled to use their money, but now they don't have to save their parents. This was real things that happened, these real religious leaders. It wasn't just like pastors and teachers, guy. There was so much opposition. And this is why we hear these terms. Do not use the name of the Lord in what? Vain. Is that every time a guy on TV late night blasphemes God? Well, sure. But what it really means is using his name in vain. I don't want to support my parents. I don't want to take care of this. I don't want to take care of that. So my heart is not in a good place. Corban, if you were angry at your parents. If you fell into a bad predicament, it was vain, it was empty. And in verse 6 he says, Thus you nullify the word of God because of your own traditions. Mark 7.13 says, You make the word of God of no effect. That means the word of God has no authority in your life. Going along with the trend of today, the word of God is canceled in your life. Let me ask you this. Not your spouse, not your kids, you and me. Where is the word of God in your life? What authority does it really have? Many people today teach that really it isn't inspired. Think about it like this. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? Who wrote that? Moses. But was Moses there in the beginning? I don't think so. So how does he know? Because God inspired it. Because God overlooks it. If you lessen the word of God, take away the word of God, it isn't the authority in your life. Your life will fall apart. What parts do you believe? The heaven part? The rest in peace part? Did I see that woman bones in front of me? And I celebrated. She graduated. She's glorified. She's where she's meant to be. Yes, it is hard for my wife. Thank you for your prayers and the food chain. And we love you, branches. Amen. But this is all because of God. This is all because of God. And I say all of this because if we don't walk in the authority of God and his word, it is dangerous. You see, Jesus wasn't an opportunist. He didn't manipulate. He also wasn't what? Someone who is able to conform. He wasn't emotionally driven. Every wind of doctrine, whatever's on the news, whatever being said, he simply said what was true. He didn't go after them. They came to him and he simply stood. You may be standing here today and you may even say, how did people get this far? How do we get this far from God's command? Isn't it so obvious? I remember a few years ago being in a movie theater. Good-looking guy and his wife, probably in his 50s, 60s, next to me. Movie hasn't started yet. We're chatting for a bit, and of course, Jesus comes up, and he says, Hey, pastor. I said, Yeah. How many times did you pray last night? I said, Anyone ever asked you that? Pray last night? I prayed 50 times. What prayers did you pray? I prayed this, I prayed this, I prayed this. I said, Oh, I've never really counted it. Well, how do you pray? I mean, you're a pastor. Well, I pray like, Oh, this is going on in someone's life, Lord. Help them. Oh, the kids' ministry over there, maybe it's getting crazy. Help them. Oh, my wife is going through it. Jesus, be with her. Me today, whatever it is. And as I'm sharing with him, I told him, you know, prayers are more to worship God and as we live out this life, reaching the lost. And he turns to me and says, you know, as far as reaching the lost, that's on them. I don't worry about them. And I said, no, no, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. No, no, no. 
How good of an example is this of someone who hopefully knows the Lord, but whose tradition has gotten in the way of the very reason why we are still here? Amen? The only reason you are on this earth still is to reach people, is to populate heaven. I know Instagram sells good deals and all the money makers out there, all the marketing, all the rest, but you are here because God has given you time for a reason. And you think about traditions of men, it's easy. We're not to pray to the dead saints. Amen? The Bible says there's no mediator between man and God, but who? Jesus. Thank you. Preach it with me. Only Jesus. I don't need to pray to anyone. Only Jesus. He said it is finished. Calvary was split. There was an earthquake. Only he went behind the veil for you and me. That is it. I'm saying that to say traditions come in in every form. And we believe them in the church all the time. We can do it to ourselves. So how does Jesus respond? Jesus, what about our rituals? What about God's commands? And all this conflict blows up. And look at what he says in verse 7. This is Jesus on a hillside with a lamb Jesus. You what? Hypocrites. One of my favorite words in the Greek, hypocritas. Say that. Do not be driving home and shout hypocritas at your spouse today. Amen? Hypocritas. You know what this is? This is a real profession. A hypocrite in that day wasn't just when you get mad when you're driving. wasn't when you said something stupid to your spouse, repent, quit doing it, amen? A hypocrite was a professional actor. I get up on the stage and I put a mask on and I live this life, but you don't really know me. It wasn't just a saying. This is something that is real. This is the way I'm manipulating, the way I'm sowing into, the way I'm aiming to live my life. And Jesus of all people says, hypocrites, and you say, Brian, that's radical. Yeah, he said it over 20 more times. That is really radical. He's confronting the hypocrisy. He's confronting the danger of false gospel, false doctrine, false religion that separates people from God. And he goes on. He said, Isaiah, the prophet 700 years plus, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. He's saying your worship is empty. The way that you're living, you're not hungry for the things of God. Your heart isn't broken for mine. Do you even need the grace and mercy and the Holy Spirit in that day? And you might hear this and say, well, how do people get this far? Can I tell you how many times I've sat with couples, when intended couples, who are trying to figure out where they are in life, and before we even get into some counseling, they've already decided we're getting divorced. Has there been infidelity? No. Well, who's deciding this? Is this now a new tradition we brought in that shakes you and your kids and your future where you live and your bank account and even your faith? I'm not saying this to condemn, but guys, what traditions do we carry? And God doesn't hate those who've been divorced, but he hates divorce. Why? It's his children being torn apart, separating what was cleft together. Here's another one that's probably going to get me in some trouble, but what's been popular last decade? What's been popular is as young men or young women come into church and they begin to engage and get plugged in in ministries and youth and all the rest. Now we're 18, 19, 20 and where's my wife? And so we're hanging out and we're a bit more older and the flesh is getting a bit more in there. And soon we're drinking and now we're drunk and now we're engaging and now we're four or five years in of being part of a church and we've hooked up with four or five of God's daughters We began to womanize the church. I can't tell you how many local pastors, friends of mine, won't even speak on verses like this because most of the congregation will be mad. But here's my point. Doesn't God know what's best for me? Does God want me doing crack? 
Does he want me on drugs? Does he want me having an affair? Does he want me in prison? Do I really believe the heart of God and what he says in his way? Because Jesus said, they're worshiping me in vain. I'm saying this to say, guys, you are going to struggle. You are going to fall short. But he's saying to them, and look at what he says, verse 10. And so he calls the crowd. He's just called them hypocrites. Listen, you guys. Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles someone, but it is what comes out. But here's the reality. If you read Leviticus, you would see there are things you can eat that would defile you. Certain kinds of fish, certain kinds of animals, but these were what? Happening on the inside, representing the outside. You could go through a ceremonial washing, there's things you could do and refrain from, and these would be gone. But what Jesus is saying is, this is an inside issue. This is a care inside, and look at verse 12, it gets better. Then the disciples came to him and they asked, can you imagine asking Jesus this? After all the miracles he just performed, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Do you guys think he knew? He knew. Was he trying to offend? No. He's not walking around being self-righteous, being a punk. That's not what I'm saying. If you want to go do ministry downtown, don't be the guy on the soapbox that's shouting that people are sinners and wretched and filthy because they might not even know what sin is yet. If you're cold down there, go and engage and be loving and share what God has done and get to those places. Amen. Bible says none are good. That's true. But here is Jesus saying this to them, crying out to them. He says, do you know that they were offended? Guys, when you read the Bible, which Jesus do you see? Do you see the Jesus who flipped over tables? Do we see the Jesus who preached on sin? Do we see the Jesus who gives us the only picture of God the Father anywhere in the world in the text? I say this and you say, Brian, where are you going with here? Well, think about this. I'll challenge you. You want to know the biblical Jesus? Just read the four Gospels for the next month. Read them all the time. All the verses in red, read them over and over. And here's what you'll find. Jesus' ministry was not long-winded. The Bible is 66 books, but his ministry lasted for three and a half years. He hung out with you for a few hours or a few days or maybe was in your town for a bit longer and he performed miracles, signs, and wonders, proclaimed the truth. Most didn't follow him. 5,000 didn't follow him. The wedding of Cana, they didn't follow him. People were hurt and angry and mad and all he was doing was lovingly preaching truth. Why am I saying this? You tell me, has God's standard been lowered in the world today? It's thriving in China. It's thriving in Karina in a, in a Korea. I went to a school with a girl called Karina. What's that going on? It's thriving in Korea. I say this. Why? Because, think about this. In my culture today, which I know it's not of this world, I'm living in a time where God has told me, raise up Jude, your son, who's 11, in the way he should go. But culture is telling him, Jude, if you want you can get body parts cut, cut, cut off, redefine who you are, and you haven't got to tell your parents. I'm raising a culture that says to my daughter, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. But culture says you can go get pregnant and never have to tell your parents. If you heard this and you're thinking politically, you are missing the whole point. Never about politics. It's not. Nothing to do with it. Jesus was in the middle. Why? Because emotional people are easily manipulated. Half of America thinks this, half thinks that. Well, half the people are wrong, I guess. What are we going to think? The Word of God. 
Even my wife this season, babe, where do you think our life will be in two years from now? I don't know. I get up tomorrow. I did a men's thing on Friday. The spider bit me. I'm here with you today. Hopefully I could do jujitsu tomorrow and it's not contagious. I don't know. That's it. And that's your confidence. How many things are we planning for that we'll never get to? James says, do you even understand this? I'm saying this because we're living in a world that is crazy. Listen, and I made this allusion earlier. God shows up when his creation really starts getting crazy. When creation really redefines all these things God has put in motion. And again, if this triggers you, I don't know which God we're talking about in a Christian Bible-believing church where we worship the Son of God. Amen? I'm saying this as a pastor. I'm saying this as someone who for 24 years never read the Bible and spent my life saying, how did no one tell me this? And they've said, Jesus, they're mad at you. And in verse 13, what does he say? Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Jesus, they're mad at you. And he refers to them as plants. We're branches. John 15, we abide in him. The vine, he's our Lord and Savior. He trims off. These, though, don't have good soil. These, there's no increase. These, are they the wheats or the tares? Are they believers or unbelievers? He says, every plant that the Father has not planted will be tore up. And the Bible says, a good tree will bear good fruit. Do not think I'm preaching religion and legalism and that you are perfect. You're perfect in him, but you are going to wrestle some of you are frustrated just because I'm preaching the word of God and you say you love Jesus. Amen? I know what's in us. Paul says he was the chief of thinners, and I'm sure some of us could say we're way beyond that of Paul. But my point is this. Jesus addresses where they are, and he says something even more radical in verse 14. He says, leave them. Leave them. Here's where they are. Here's their hypocrisy. Here's where their pride is. God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. And if you haven't been humbled yet, I hope you know the Lord before, because it hurts. Amen? You see just what this world is about, how every moment is fleeting. Leave them. And you hear this, and you say, well, what does that mean? How many times do people say, well, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart in the Old Testament? Remember? But we always forget that God sent his word to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh rejected it. Pharaoh could have said, wow. I'm enslaving all of your people. This is what we've been doing here in Egypt. I repent, and it all would have changed the story of the Bible, but Pharaoh didn't. And see, that what happens. Whenever you preach God's truth and someone doesn't receive it, you know what is filled in that space? A lie or a deception. Something that isn't true. God says you were born in sin. I don't believe that, so I believe something else. God says we're going to die and then we're going to be judged. Well, I don't believe that. I believe in reincarnation. God says this or that. Well, I don't believe that. This is what we do. I heard this week how, and if you've been on the streets doing ministry with me or others, oftentimes the conversation comes up about the Big Bang or evolution. Amen? Well, just Friday, a professor came out with an article that said we have realized that now there's something beyond the Big Bang. There's something that was before the Big Bang. A high-level university article was written on that. And what do I think? I think I already knew that. Because Genesis says in the what? Beginning. He's the same yesterday, today, or forever. You've wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars to know this. And guys, maybe there was a big bang. But like I said earlier, it sounded more like a Prius. Amen. It was all smooth. And God pulled it together. And he formed it. And he shaped it. But what am I saying? 
is that what Jesus is saying is they're not planted. Guys, you don't work your way to God. It's not religion. It's not study. It's a heart change, and he's about to unfold this. He says to them, they're not planted. In fact, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a pit. And so Peter again says, Jesus, explain this to us. And it sounds like he's being stupid. I feel bad for Peter because he was the rock and he was tough. He's ready to go to war. But also he kind of got beaten up on. He could take it though. God knew that. When you go through it, know that God is allowing you because he knows what he's put in you. Amen? Even Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He disciplines us like a father. We don't always like it. But as he's unpacking here, Peter says, explain this. And he literally says, are you still so dull? You see, this is what tradition can do in ritual. They were so used to the traditions. They're washing their hand here. They've got to put their arm out here. They're going through the process. It was normal. This was not what God intended. Peter, in fact, wouldn't even understand it till Acts 10 when he gets given a vision from heaven at Cornelius' house. But Peter says, explain this. And Jesus says, verse 17, do you see that whatever enters a mouth, the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these are those which defile them. Whatever enters in comes out. I mean, that is a science 101. If you have children, you understand what I mean. Amen? All these people claiming God isn't a God of science. There it is. But what he's saying is it is not what comes into you, but what comes out. You read the Old Testament, and you see the nation of Israel, and God calls them what? They are my what people? Chosen. And sadly, in their pride at times, they go, well, we're God's chosen. Yes, but God chose you to give you the oracles of God. God chose you to record them. God chose you for the Messiah to come through. God chose you to live with certain rituals and traditions so when the world looks at you, they see you are God's people. And as you live out the commands, they feel this love. Somewhere in Christian culture today, we believe that by trying to honor the word of God, we're going to actually hate the world. But by honoring the word of God, we're actually really loving the world. Amen? Satan showed up and probably sounded really loving to Adam and Eve. Whatever he said that day, and I know for all the theologians, the Satan in the Hebrew, I get it, but he was an actual, is a being, amen? Jesus tells us that he was a liar from the beginning. He's the shrewdest of all the serpents, creatures God created. But here, what Jesus is saying is, all these traditions and rituals just pointed to who my people were. But it's not what is going into you, it's what is coming out of you. And what does he say? The heart. Is he talking about the organ? Is he talking about the vessel? No. He's talking about the passion, the love, the romance, the hatred, the pain, the hurt. All that makes you up. Yes, we have a mind. Put on the mind of Christ. But he's talking about what is in here. Why? Because this is where I think lustful thoughts. This is where I think condemning thoughts. This is where I can think hated things. This is where I dwell. This is where I live. But yet we live in America that does what? Celebrates the heart. You go to Target today, beautiful pictures cut out of a heart. It's all pretty and smiling with your favorite characters on it. And the heart is beautiful to that degree. I mourn my wife's mother. I love my family. I love being with you and all of you. We love Jesus. But what does the Bible say is the most wicked thing ever? You can say it. The heart. The heart is the most deceitful above all else. Do you think America believes that? I don't. Follow your heart, okay? 
You want me to go have an affair? You want me to go kill someone? You want me to go do this? You want me to go do that? Whatever I feel like, follow my heart. Is that what we're saying? See how radical this is? Jesus is saying, you're missing it. You came here, Billy Graham, 100 miles, wash my hands. No. Leave on your bike. It's not the issue. The issue is what is already in you. James 1.14. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? Their own desire. Satan just showed up and said, check this out. It was within her. Whatever someone did, it was within them. None are good. All have sinned. That's just the Bible. He said their own desire, and then once this desire is conceived, it means you plot and you plan, then it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death, meaning then you go and act out. The act is the last action. It's all the things in front of this. This is where the heart is. This is what takes place, and people don't believe this. And why do I say this? Isn't this what Christianity is all about? I'd never met you in some other nation. What is the Bible about? It's that you are born dead in sin. Your heart is wicked, and God wants to give you a new heart. That's it, yeah. Not religion, not tradition. You come to church next week, let's do it. Let's just white-knuckle this. Someone pulls up in front of you, gets mad, don't get mad. In fact, don't even eat the donuts, it might be gluttony. In fact, wash your hands today wherever you go. Eat. You know, and come to church next week, religious, nothing for you. The whole of the Bible is God looked at you and me as sons and daughters and said, that is not good. I created them. They fell. They've sinned. Separated from me. I'm going to send my son to die so I can regenerate them and they can be born into my kingdom. Amen? Nicodemus asked Jesus. Didn't understand. And Jesus said, you cannot see this lest you're born again. This is why Jeremiah says of God, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you and remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's a hard issue. It's not religion, not ritual. I have a friend from Alaska, Vic Murphy. He's about 45 now, and he's a professional BMX rider. He's an awesome guy and pastor and travels and ministry. Totally crazy. And he had a grandma that he used to call Billy Grandma because she was like Billy Graham. Every time they get in the car, she would evangelize. They picked up a hitchhiker one time, and he said she scared the life out of him. She could barely drive. But he said when he was eight years old, he went in her front room one day, and he put his hand in her bag, and he took out some gum. <laughs> so, in Grandma's eyes, this was a great opportunity. So she grabbed his hand and whisked him in the other room before this old painting of Jesus that I have seen. And she says, do you realize your heart is deceitfully wicked? And he's eight and is like, what? It's poison? What's wrong with it? And he said for about 12 years, he didn't understand. And so probably through loads of therapy, amen, things made sense, but he finally came to faith. But the point is, that's true. Even all the years I came to America living for me, trying to do what's right, it's the heart. It's all about the heart. I say all these things because as we sit here, Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 19, and we'll wrap up in a little bit. He says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Do I really need to unpack any of this? Hating someone, cheating, violating, stealing, false witness, slander. Because what Jesus is saying is if you die in this sin, not because you've sinned, not because if you're a believer and you have struggled, but if you don't know him 
and the heart hasn't been reborn and that isn't a license to sin, this is where the world sits. Even if you wash your hands, even if you're the most religious, even if you bring about world peace, it is a heart issue. That's why David said, create in me what? Pure heart. Didn't say clean my heart. I need a new heart. I need to be regenerate. And what happens is we try and tidy ourselves up. That's religion. We try and do better. That is your effort. I've learned in my life, especially my marriage, if I try and love Tracy my way, it doesn't work. If I try and raise the kids my way, it doesn't work. Get out of the way. Amen. I mean, in Genesis, Adam probably knew he was missing someone, and God put him into a deep sleep, and all the women said, amen. God brought the woman. It's the same in your life. You want to love your wife? Get out the way. You want to raise your kids? Get out the way. Well, where do I look? Right here. $7 Bible. Amen. Not hundreds of thousands to figure out evolution isn't what they say it is. I'm saying this to say why. Because it's not about modification. It's about a heart. And it's, here's the sad part of it. And I'll just put this thought in here, though. You might be one of those guys that messages me from time to time and says, Brian, I'm going through the Bible and I'm reading the Old Testament. And, and do you keep the law? I'm like, well, yes and no. Well, what do you mean? Well, do I keep the Ten Commandments religiously? No. Could I even tell you all 613 that applied to them in that day? No. Do I understand the Mishnah and the depth of its volume? Probably never in my whole life and probably for the start of eternity. No. So how do you keep the law? I've said this many times, but what are the Ten Commandments? There are two commandments. The first four are between you and who? God. They're the vertical. And the next six are between you and who? Everyone else, the horizontal. When they came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Asking him as a rabbi, what's your teaching? Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind. You're filling the first four. And love your neighbor as you are. And you're fulfilling the final six. It is not regulation. If you are disciplined, the perfection is good. Use it for the kingdom. But if not, love God and love people. Why this is so sad is because I, I said it. I came not to do away with it, to fulfill it. That's what he meant. He was bringing this teaching. That's why he could say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Because not respecting your parents, that's not loving. Taking advantage of people, you know what I just said, and here's the sad thought. 100-mile round trip to come to Jesus, to challenge him over hygiene. Who is standing before them? The way, the truth, the what? Who is standing before them? The very person who raised my wife's mother into glory that day. The very person who is seated with my mother in heaven or our miscarried child or our loved ones who have passed on. He's right here and they could not see because of what? Ritual. He said to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. It looks good. Your name's on the Bible. It's all working forward. But where were they? And so for you and me, where do you end something like this? Is this where I tell you to go and cross this and cross that and get your life together? No. This is where I say, do you understand where your heart is? I know where mine is. I need to be in church this much. I need, I hope my name's on this Bible. I need to write a marriage book, amen? I need to preach so much. I know what's in me. But in a nutshell, do you know Jesus? I want to pray in a moment, invite us into this time of worship as the band comes up, but here's how I feel like we should end today. Maybe you're a believer, you're here, and you're religious with yourself. 
You're trying to do all these things to make God move for you or do this for you, do that for you. That is not Christianity. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is what? I don't make my kids work hard, so I love them. I want to discipline them. I want to show them things. I want to understand how to lovingly, gracefully, and mercifully lead them. But it's not a question of love. You might be a Christian and you wrestle with this. You're so legalistic with yourself. I'm not saying sin, but you beat yourself up with rituals and we can pray about that. Second thing is maybe you just don't know Jesus. Maybe you're this new generation where you know it wasn't hip to go to your parents' church and so you've just rejected everything else. What is it, Christianese and long sermons, the word of God or anything someone says out the Bible. And you're like, I just don't really even know if, if I know the Lord. Maybe you're here and you say, wow, I know I've sinned. I know I need forgiveness, and I know today I need to get right with God. Maybe you're just here and you just say, wow, I just hear, Brian, even your faith that God took your mother-in-law. I just hear the goodness of God in the text. I just see that he went out of his way, lived, died, and resurrected for me. And you know what? As an act of church, what we want to start doing at the end of service, what did God say in his word? He said, my house will be a house of what? Worship prayer. My house will be a house of prayer. I want to end the service like this. I'm going to pray. But then if you're someone that says, I've been too religious with myself or too whatever the people, there are going to be people around this room. Bring things to them. If you're someone that says, I don't know Jesus, and actually, Brian, you offended me a lot in this, but I realize it was God and he's opening my eyes. Someone in this room can pray with you if you say, I need forgiveness this day. I always tell people when we're out preaching, do you feel that breeze? And all those kids at the skate park say, yeah, well, that's what the Holy Spirit's like. I'm up here fumbling around with the text, but God is pinpointing your heart. That's repentance. That's his goodness. That's his grace. That's his mercy. That's you stepping out. But what I really want to do is just challenge us the church. Let's make this house, even though we rent this space, a house of prayer. Let's pray for the nation if we talk about it so much. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for families. Let's make use of the prayer team because we want to stand with you in your battles because prayer does something. Amen. Let's bow our heads. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. And who would have thought just seated here today with coffee and donuts in the midst of a crazy week, someone passing or a spider bite to the eye and yes we're laughing at times but God you have ministered through your word your word is true and I pray against God the tradition the rituals we carry and that we get to get and see a real view of you Jesus that you are in this place loving kind and gracious and your hand is extended to your children today that God if they need to confess to you they need to come to you they need to repent if today needs to be the day of salvation for them, that they would pray and reach out and cry out, thank you, Lord. But God, for us as your church, that even now, as they did in the book of Acts, they would sit in prayer, thanking you, interceding as your priests for the world and for the sake of those who were lost. And Lord, for the next few moments as we worship, would you use this time? Church, if you need prayer for anything, would you meet one of those leaders over at the side of the room? We want to pray and honor God. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website.
Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.